Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Cleveland Guardians 17, the Kansas City Royals 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And man, I mean, wow, what a game. What a way to finally get the season going. The third game of the season, the Guardians offense is here. Do you feel a little bit better? Has your dread flipped to joy? Has your pessimism flipped to optimism? I mean, the overreactions from the first three games of the season, people saying, there's the Guardians team we were expecting. People saying, nah, this isn't a this is an illusion. Those first two games, that was the real team. Here's the thing, folks. It's a 162-game season. Neither of these are the team. They will go through swings. There will be momentum changes. There will be ups and downs. It's a wild ride, the baseball season, so strap in because, hey, if we score 17 runs a game, that would be pretty fantastic. And there's going to be weeks where we score nothing or one, and it's going to be really frustrating. So let's strap in and have some fun with this con- this one because it was one heck of a baseball game from the Cleveland Guardians. And they might have found, man, they might have found a, a heck of a formula here. Stephen Kwan in the two-hole setting all sorts of records. Unbelievable. I mean, going back to 1901, So a lot of these things I'm going to tell you come from Mandy Bell's article on MLB.com, but you can find them in other places. Everybody was reporting on Stephen Kwan yesterday. He's pretty much been, he wasn't the story of the whole weekend, but once these numbers accumulated from his first um, 14 plate appearances in his major league career, uh, this really became the story on Sunday. And uh, since 1901, He's the first player to reach base 12 times in his first three career games. Nobody has ever reached base this many many times in his uh, first three games of their career. It's insanity. He uh, he has not swung and missed at a pitch yet. He hasn't swung and missed. This is a guy facing Major League Pitching for the first time in his career, and he hasn't swung and missed There's four players in baseball that have not swung and missed at a pitch yet, including him and, strangely, Ahmed Rosario. Ahmed Rosario is also on that list. If you remember some of the earlier games, we talked about how Ahmed Rosario was hitting the ball hard. He just, you know, got a little unlucky. Nicky Lopez snagged that liner off him. So, yeah, Ahmed Rosario also following in that mold of really putting the bat on the ball. Um, he be Okay, so back to Stephen Kwan. He becomes the sixth player since at least 1901 to record a five-hit game within his first three career games, joining Yermin Mercedes from last year, Cecil Travis, Red Massey, Jack Dalton, and Judge McCready. You can just tell. You can tell what generation those names came from, right? Yermin Mercedes, Cecil Travis, Red Massey is 1918, Jack Dalton 1910, and Judge McCready 1903. Uh, and as we already discussed, he's the first player since at least 1901 to reach base 12 times. Uh, his quote, he says, that doesn't even feel real uh, when he learned some of the stats. Uh, some of the quotes in here are absolutely fantastic. Cal Quantrill, 
Cal Quantrill said, it's silly. Odds on favorite for rookie of the year right now. I don't want to jinx anything. Just keep it up. Uh, what else did Quan say? I'll read you some of the quotes from this article. Uh, Oscar Mercado said, incredible, but I'm not surprised. He's such a good player, and he knows himself as a player and what he can do. And he's such a spark plug. I think I just think that he's been an absolute blessing, and it's going to be really awesome to watch him play this year. This is a fellow outfielder that was competing for an outfield spot with him in spring training, and he's saying that about him. And I love the line, he's such a spark plug. The players recognized it. The fans definitely recognized it in spring training and after that first game. And even Terry Francona and Chernoff and Antonetti, the people making decisions, the analytics department, they even recognized it and instantly after the first game moved him up to the two-hole in the lineup because they knew what kind of a spark plug he could be. And he's on base so many times in his first few games. His batting average is at 800. His on-base percentage is 857 because of all the walks. He adds in an extra base hit yesterday, a double, so the slugging percentage is at 1,000. Uh, he is leading all rookies. I pulled up the rookie rankings on fan graphs right here, and he is basically leading the rookies in everything. Weighted WRC plus, weighted runs created plus. You know, what value do they bring to the offense in creating runs? Blowing away the field of rookies. He's at 395. Uh, the next closest rookie is Hello Ramirez from the San Francisco Giants at 317. He's had three plate appearances. He played in one game. Got two hits, got two singles, and struck out once. Uh, as far as war goes for rookies, he's at 0.6 already. Uh, the next closest is Jeremy Pena uh, from Houston, who's at 0.3, who's uh, hitting 375 to start the season. So not a bad start. And uh, Saya Suzuki, the new signing from the Chicago Cubs, also hitting 375 to start the season, also at a 0.3 war. So, blowing away the rookie field in the first three days. By the way, Ernie Clement is up there on this list. Uh, Ernie Clement would be sixth in war for rookies after the first three games. I guess Ernie Clement, I didn't think, I didn't think he would, but he still qualifies as a rookie. So, he's also off to a decent start here. So, yeah. Stephen Kwan absolutely blowing away the field. Let's find some of his other quotes from this article, um, you know, talking about the mentality of this guy is really impressive too. Uh, Quan said, obviously, Miles Straw is on pretty much every time, so I'm usually working with a guy on base. The pitcher is conscious of him stealing, so it's nice to not have the pitcher's full attention and then maybe capitalize on a mistake. So remember when I said I could see a situation where Quan becomes a leadoff hitter and Straw moves down to the two-hole just because Straw likes hitting with guys on base a little bit? Well, sounds like Quan does too. I mean, you can't blame him. Everybody loves hitting with guys on base. It makes the at-bat a lot more fun, knowing that you can drive in a run or get a rally going. And so, yeah, so Quan is very comfortable in that two-hole. I think I read somewhere, it might even be in this article, um, yeah, Mandy Bell has it. He spent his collegiate career hitting from that spot in the lineup. So in college, he was the two-hole hitter. Uh, I believe it was Oregon State. I believe it was Oregon State where he played his college ball. So, yeah, I think the quotes in here are really interesting, talking about his mentality. Ernie Clement said he's my favorite player. Quan uh, said Ernie's a clown. Uh, he's a lover. I love that. He kind of got me on an unflattering one where I didn't shave the stash, but that's funny stuff. That's right. Ernie Clement changed his profile picture to Stephen Quan. Tristan McKenzie changed his profile picture to Stephen Quan. That's how much his teammates support him. 
That's the effect he's already having in the clubhouse. His teammates believe in him that much um, and are enjoying the ride that much. And talking about his mentality, we talked a little bit in some of our spring training episodes when we were kind of pro- previewing him and profiling him that he got really into like meditation and stuff like that. And, you know, the mentality of the game when he was in college, it's something that him and some teammates at Oregon State worked on. And if he can bring that to the Guardians locker room, if that rubs off on some of the guys, that'll just be fantastic. So I think that's, I mean, that's everything I could say about Stephen Kwan uh, to start the season. I, I could probably go on and on. I could probably fill 45 minutes talking about how great of a weekend Stephen Kwan had. But he wasn't the only one. I mean, we do a segment on the show, and we didn't do it the first two days because, well, you know, the game one, you knew where my head was at. I was a little bit preoccupied. Game two, I, you know, losing one nothing was a little bit demoralizing, so I didn't forgot about it. But a segment we do on this show is MVP for the day, right? We want to highlight what player, since this is a daily podcast or semi-daily podcast, depending on off days, uh, we wanted to highlight who really stood out and who really had a great day. And so MVP for the day, honestly, could have gone to like three or four people in this lineup. I mean, Jose Ramirez with the home run, three hits, three RBIs, three runs scored. He could have won MVP for the day. Ahmed Rosario, four hits on the day for Ahmed Rosario, three RBIs, two runs scored, including a huge triple. He could have easily won MVP for the day. Owen Miller goes three for six with four RBIs, two runs scored. He had a big uh, extra base hit, a big double. Uh, uh, Oscar Mercado. Oscar Mercado goes two for six, but five RBIs, including the big grand slam, the one that really put this game on another level. Oscar Mercado on another day could have easily won MVP for the day for that performance. That's how much fun yesterday's game was. Uh, obviously, we got to give it up to Quan, right? Quan is definitely our MVP for the day for how many times he was on base. Five for five, including a double in the eighth inning. Four runs scored. Plus, he also got hit by a pitch in this game, don't forget. So he's also on base by hit by pitch. So he's on base six times in six at-bats yesterday in that game. So, Quan, we usually save this segment for the end of the show, but Quan is definitely the MVP for the day. All right, let's go over to StatCast and let's take a look at some of the visuals here and some of the numbers here. Uh, Some of the things I find interesting here, looking at the Guardians offense on the Illustrator tab of StatCast. Normally, we're here looking at the pitchers, right? Looking where they're locating their pitches. I wanted to pull up and see where some of these hits were. And uh, for Quan, everything was down. Everything was down that he hit. I actually want to take a look at all the pitches that he got. Let's take a look at everything he got. They were pitching him up. They were pitching him down. Some fastballs high, some breaking balls, some sliders in the zone, uh, curveball in the zone that he was able to hit, uh, some change-ups down, uh, some, yeah, some sliders down. So most of the hard stuff he was seeing was up. Most of the breaking stuff was down. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting that most of his hits, in fact, all of his hits yesterday came from Basically, uh, one was at the belly button. Everything else was probably from the belt below. Uh, so that is a little bit interesting to me. What were these pitches? One was a four-seam fastball. The, the, two, the two higher pitches that he hit were four-seam fastballs. 
The one outside the zone was a changeup off of Kovar, uh, a curveball down at the bottom of the zone, still in the strike zone. And uh, a slider was the one that he pulled for the double off of Brady Singer. So he didn't really, he went a little bit outside to hit this changeup. I'm wondering if this is the one in the second inning that he goes opposite field with. Uh, I don't officially know that, uh, but we could easily look that up. Everything else is in the zone. So we talked a little bit, you know, especially about Yu Chang, right? How he was extending the zone, swinging out of the zone, really swinging at some bad pitches here. Um, yes, that one in the second, that changeup that's off the plate is the one he hits to left field to Ben Attendee. So he does go opposite way with that outside pitch. But he's not, you know, he's not chasing out of the zone on any of these. These are all, he's letting the pitches come into the zone. He's letting those fastballs come down a little bit. He's letting those breaking balls sit in the zone. And he's making, you know, making them pay for it. So that is a really good approach from Quan. Jose Ramirez. I love this. The home run he hit was uh, a, a sinker, a hard sinker, you know, kind of a fastball for Brady Singer. Up and in, and he turns and cranks. Exit velocity is 107.6 miles per hour on Jose Ramirez's home run. I found this interesting. So uh, Kovar gets him to strike out in the third inning. On a 2-2 count, uh, he throws him a fastball down and away, paints the bottom corner of the zone for a called strike three. In his next at-bat in the fifth inning against Kovar, on an 0-0 count, first pitch, he goes back to the exact same location with the four-seam fastball. Ramirez hits it for a double in the left center field. That is beautiful. That is why I love looking at some of these things. The last at-bat in the third inning, he strikes out looking. Kovar thinks, I'm going to go right back to that spot. Jose Ramirez goes, I bet he's going to go right back to that spot, and shoots it out in the left field for a double. That is beautiful baseball right there. Uh, for me, Reyes' two hits, the, his two singles came from pitches that were middle up. Uh, so that is nice to see. Ahmed Rosario. Gotta love Ahmed Rosario. Uh, he uh, His triple was a pitch that was down and away, and he, he's able to, he, not just able, he shoots it out in a right center field for that triple, 105.9 miles per hour. That was a fun moment in the game. Uh, that came in the fourth inning when not back-to-back triples, but I believe separated uh, by two at-bats. So Ahmed Rosario triples uh, with the bases empty after Familiar Reyes strikes out. Owen Miller singles, which drives him in for the run. Clement strikes out on a foul tip, and then Oscar Mercado follows it up with his own triple uh, that scores Owen Miller. So Ahmed Rosario going down and away, and what do you do with pitches down and away? You shoot them to the opposite field. Now, this isn't just shooting a ball to the opposite field. This is 105.9 miles per hour exit velocity. This is a shot. Uh, And then he went and chased a slider from uh, Gabe Spire here, and he chases a slider way off the plate. I'm talking in the other batter's box. And he hits it to second baseman Nicky Lopez and just hustles it out, just beats it out. Uh, I think it was second baseman. I think it was Nicky Lopez. Uh, For some reason, just kind of hesitates with the ball and, uh, yeah, kind of crow hops into his throw. And we've talked about this all last season. Ahmed Rosario's speed is a bit of a game changer, right? There's not really a great metric for it. 
when he turned on the Jets to get that triple, I mean, it was unbelievable. I love the view they had of him, I think, from the first base dugout camera, of him rounding second and heading to third. The, the You know, when it clicks in, when the speed clicked in about, I'd say about four steps from second base, right? He's running hard. He's running hard. He decides in his mind something clicks, and he decides, I'm going to make that turn, and I'm going to make a triple out of this thing. And he kicks it into another gear, right? He turns on the afterburners, and he flies into third base. Awesome camera work there. Awesome to see. Frankly, the camera work in Kansas City this week has been awful. I think we've seen more time of the center field camera guy cleaning the lens of his camera uh, than we have of the actual game going on. It's kind of a mess out there right now. But, hey, it's the beginning of the season for them, too. Uh, So, yeah, so the speed there. And then the speed in the fifth inning here to turn what should have been a ground out to second base into an infield single. Uh, His speed is a game changer, which is why when people are like, ah, that guy's expendable. Ah, we we got Arias and all these other guys coming up from the minors. You know, Ahmed Rosario is probably going to get traded this season. No, I I mean, he he has a lot of value. Ahmed Rosario is a really good offensive player, and he brings a lot of value to the plate. And I kind of like them trying to figure out a way to keep him in the lineup. Now, I don't think he belongs, man, unless he really puts in the work. I don't think he belongs in the outfield. I don't know what you do with him. I always thought because of his height, he actually would profile well at first base, right? He's got an okay glove. Uh, if he doesn't have to range that far, it probably improves his glove. And he's a big he'd be a big target over there at first base. I don't know if he could do the splits like Bobby Bradley, but he'd be a pretty big target for them to throw to. So uh, we'll see them trying to continue to find creative ways for Ahmed Rosario to stay in the lineup and stay on the field. Does Fermil Reyes uh, get some time in the outfield? Reyes actually looks a little more natural in the outfield than Ahmed Rosario does, frankly. He's a lot slower, but he... Seems to fare uh, pretty well when it comes to tracking fly balls. Seems to know what he's doing out there. Has had a lot of experience. Kind of came up as an outfielder uh, in San Diego. And yeah, uh, does he get a few innings out there while Ahmed Rosario maybe gets a DH just to keep himself in the lineup? And then they could still play Andres Jimenez and Ernie Clement and Owen Miller and Yu Chang and get these guys at bats. I know you don't want to see Chang. I know everybody is frustrated with Chang right now. Everybody was frustrated with him at the beginning of the last season, too. And then in the second half of the season, he turned into a decent hitter. So we'll see how that continues to develop. Because I agree with you right now. Owen Miller and Ernie Clement should be getting the playing time over Chang. Chang looks lost at the plate. I agree. All right. So that was Ahmed Rosario's at-bats. Love to see the approach there. Uh, Owen Miller, uh, his at-bats, he actually turned on an inside fastball and drove that for a double. Uh and then took a curveball and a slider uh, for his singles. So a good approach from Owen Miller. And then Ernie Clement actually went away for both of his singles. Uh, He took pitches on the outer half of the plate and got singles out of them. Now, Oscar Mercado, this is the one I wanted to get to here. Oscar Mercado, uh, his triple and a home run, the two hardest parts of the cycle he's able to accomplish yesterday. The triple was right down the middle. It was a four-seam fastball right down the pipe. And he uh, knocks it into right field, right center field, for that triple. The home run was a slider that was below the strike zone. And 
I was watching the replay back. I was shocked, shocked that Oscar Mercado actually went down and was able to get this one. Hits it 101.1 miles per hour for the Grand Slam. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I had to go back to his illustrator. For his entire career, he has not hit a home run off a pitch lower than his thighs. Not even at the knees has he hit a home run before. And this one was below the zone that he gets for the home run. So that is pretty impressive right there from Oscar Mercado to go down and get this pitch. I mean, in this area, for uh, 2020 and 2021, uh the average X velocity last season on pitches in this area was 36.4. That was his average exit velocity for pitches in that zone where he hit this grand slam yesterday. Now, uh, I'm shockingly, his batting average was actually okay at pitches in that location. He hit 250. Um, he's clearly looking at his zone chart uh, on StatCast for batting average. Middle and middle in is his sweet spot. Uh, extending out of the zone is usually not even extending into the corners of the strike zone. He's a pretty bad hitter. Uh, at least last year he was in this spot. He weirdly hit 250. Now he didn't see that many pitches there, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a spot down and, uh, down and in is usually where people can strike him out. Uh, he's got a, he had a 50% strikeout rate, uh, down and in off the plate down and in it's only 27.3. Uh, but down and in in the strike zone is where people were striking him out last season. So in a zone that he doesn't fare very well in, they're able to uh, he's able to go down and hit a grand slam. And I mean that was like you know it was great. They scored the first two runs. I actually was able to watch some of the game with my brother, and they score the first two runs, and we're excited. We're we're high fiving. We're like all right. We scored runs early. This is kind of fun. And when he hits this grand slam, that just blew the thing wide open, right? What a, what a momentum swing that was. Uh, in fact, we can go over to the win probability tab on Baseball Savant. And let's see here. Uh, his grand slam takes it up to us. Uh, wow, we were actually that high already. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Oh, his grand slam takes us from a 71% win percentage all the way up to a 91% win percentage. So yeah, really jumps the line right there. At that point, after that grand slam, I mean, all the probability said the Guardians were walking away with that win. All right. Wow. I mean, the offense, absolutely incredible. 22 hits on the day. We also pitched, you know, we also pitched and played defense on the day. Cal Quantrill goes five innings, four hits, two earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts in 76 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. I thought it was a really strong outing from Cal Quantrill. Uh, someone asked for bold predictions, bold guardian predictions. They challenged me on Twitter. Uh, I think somebody had that for Reyes would be an all-star and hit 45 home runs or something like that. He'd be the DH starting DH in the all-star game. I liked it. Bold prediction. Uh, so far, he's a little slow to get started, but bold prediction. So I said, all right, I'll take a shot at this. Bold prediction. Cal Quantrill is going to lead the team and wins an ERA. Hey, he's got the first win under his belt right here. So I'm off to a good start on my bold prediction. You know, wins is one of those things where it doesn't necessarily mean you were the best pitcher that season. I mean, how many times did we see Corey Kluber lose games, 
you know, one nothing and just couldn't get any run support back in his Cleveland days. Uh, so sometimes the win category isn't necessarily a reflection of the best pitcher, but it is interesting. The guy that goes out there and keeps racking up wins, right? That's the name of the game is still to win the game. So that's my bold prediction. And Cal Quantrill is off to a start on that one. It was a really competent, solid performance. And when you get that much run support, he had one bad inning where he gives up the two runs, right? And after that, he's just locking it down. In the third inning, they get him for two runs, but we were already up 10 nothing at that point. Uh, going to the breakdown here, what was he throwing? Let's flip it back to the pitchers tab here. He was throwing the slider the most. It was basically slider sinker from him. And remember, that's that hard sinker. He throws, he averaged 92.7 on that sinker yesterday. Um, wasn't getting a lot of swing and miss from the sinker. A little bit better swing and miss from the slider. On 18 swings, 5 whiffs, 28% uh, whiff percentage. He got 4 called strikes on the slider. It's good for a 26% CSW, which is not elite. It's not fantastic. But he got the job done. And that was his best pitch as far as getting swings and misses. Getting strikes was the slider. Now, I think one of the things that's interesting here is the exit velocity. The average exit velocity off of most of his pitches yesterday was 84.7. That's pretty low. So he was inducing some good, weak contact there. So I thought that was important uh, from Cal Quantrill. Uh, Eli Morgan would come in after him. At this point, I was surprised uh, Quantrill made it through five. It looked a little shaky there in the fifth inning, but he needed that fifth inning to qualify for the win. And when a guy pitches that well and has that much run support, like you kind of feel like you got to get him to that win, right? So they get him through five innings. Then Eli Morgan comes in, has two really nice innings, gives up a hit, nothing else, a strikeout. He's only a hard hit three times. Uh, he was only throwing two pitches yesterday. I know he usually has more pitches than this, but he was going forcing fastball a lot. A fastball that was averaging 92.2 miles per hour. And he only threw three changeups. So a little bit interesting there. Eli Morgan, known for the good changeup, only goes to it three times in his two innings. So something in the scouting report or something he was feeling yesterday just said throw some fastballs. Uh, maybe it was just the pace of the game at that point that we had been scoring so much. They were... You know, the Royals were probably a little bit hanging their heads, a little bit beat up from all the offense that they were giving up. And uh, Eli Morgan decides, I'm just going to throw fastballs and get through these two innings. Henches comes in, has a clean inning with a strikeout. And then we get to see uh, Anthony Castro, the guy we traded Bradley Zimmer for. By the way, I keep checking Blue Jays box scores to see if Zimmer has actually gotten into a game. Hasn't gotten into a game yet. I, I think, according to the roster, he's on the Major League roster. Just hasn't gotten into a game yet. So Castro gets his first appearance as a Cleveland Guardian. Known for a good slider. Um, throws basically, he did mix in a changeup yesterday. Uh, but he does get hit around a little bit. Uh, gives up two hits, a run, no walks, two strikeouts though. So he can strike people out. But also, frankly, he's not a very accurate pitcher right now. And that's something, the control is something that he struggled with. It's the reason Toronto probably gave up on him. And it's something that Carl Wilson, the pitching staff, is going to have to work on him with. Um, 
you know, we talked about how the fastball didn't have a great value for him, and the slider was a much more valuable pitch. Slider has a 44% CSW yesterday for Castro, only an 18% for the fastball, which he threw 11 times, uh, and does sneak in one changeup. If we go back to the illustrator here, uh, and we look at all the pitches from Castro, uh, you could see that compared to everybody else, he's really all over the place. Leaves a lot of fastballs and that changeup in the right-handed batter's box. Uh, swung a couple of sliders and a couple of fastballs was missing down off the plate. Uh, so control is definitely something he's going to have to work on. Eli Morgan was pounding the strike zone when we look at the illustrator here. Throwing the fastball elevated a lot. Uh, Quantrill was letting that slider really sweep uh, through a bunch of sliders that were down uh, across the strike zone there. Uh, so, and throwing that sinker up and in. A lot of up and in with the sinker and then letting that slider uh, sweep across the zone. Uh, so yeah, so it's something Castro is going to have to work on. I'll be interested with that fastball just not seeming to be a very effective pitch for him. I wonder if the Cleveland pitching staff maybe teaches him a different pitch. There seems to be a lot of sinker throwers, right? Hard sinkers or two-seam fastball throwers in the Guardian staff, in the pitching staff. I wonder if Castro continues to throw a four-seamer or if maybe they look at a different pitch for his hard stuff. A different grip, right? You know, maybe change up that a little bit. Might make it a more effective pitch, but he's definitely got to find the strike zone more. But hey, we got our first look at him and a perfect time for it too. It's game action. It's major league hitters with zero pressure, right? The Guardians are up 17 to two at that point. Absolutely no pressure on the guy. He could just go out there and showcase his stuff for Willis and for Francona uh, to get a little bit of a look at him. So that was the pitching side of things all around. What a fun day from your Cleveland Guardians. Hey, we do it again at 2 o'clock today. Uh, I know for a lot of you at work, uh, 2 o'clock games are a little bit difficult, but hey, you know, maybe you could throw it on your phone, you could throw it on a side screen, and you can keep an eye on the Guardians. We got Savali going today against Hernandez for the Royals. Right-handed pitcher. So uh, I would imagine some of the lefties will find their way Back into the lineup. That means probably Bobby Bradley maybe finding his way back into the lineup. So we will see what happens out there with the lineup that comes out today to face Hernandez. But Savali, I'm excited to see. Frankly, I'm shocked Savali ended up as the fourth pitcher in the rotation. Uh, I honestly, I don't know if it was a matchup thing or what, or uh, I thought Savali was pitching really well. So let's see if he can carry it over and come out hot and uh, set the Guardians up for success again today. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Kauffman Stadium. It's the Garden 17, and it's the Kansas City Royals 3. We'll be back tomorrow to cover the Savali game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.